So you may remember, once upon a time, we were doing a series. The series is Honest to God, and it's a collection of the questions that you all asked last November. You wrote them on index cards, we collected them, and we built this sermon series out of your questions. And so the question tonight is about what does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? And uh, we're going to be looking at in life, in uh, romantic relationships, and in ministry. In, and what does that look like? How do we picture that? So let's, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. We'll be looking at, uh, <laughs> shout out, sound of music, shout out. Um, we'll be looking at Genesis and how God designed it to be and then what happened to it. So let's look at Genesis. We're beginning to read ver- uh, chapter 1. Uh, conveniently located on page one in the Pew Bibles. Genesis 1, we're reading uh, 26 to 31 of Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now let's skip over to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. 
And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To the man, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. And therefore God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. I think that one of the great inventions in the last 25 years is the undo button. And I say that because I'm old enough to remember the days before there was an undo button. And you would be writing a paper for a class, and you would think, oh, hey, you know what? This section right here would work much better if I put it over here. And so you would drag, and you would copy a little text, and you would think that you hit copy, and you would go to the next place, and it would just do nothing. And, and you would think, oh, no, what happened? And you would realize, oh, no, stupid, you hit cut, not copy. And now that brilliant piece that you had is gone forever, and you have to try and figure it out all over again. But now, with the undo button, when you do something stupid like that, you just go, undo. And it's all fixed. And every time I do that, I think, man, I wish there was like a life undo button, right? You're in Knollcrest, you jostle your tray, your stuff all ends up the floor, and you just say, undo! <laughs> it's a slippery morning, you're on your way to class, you fall down, let's say, in front of Bolt, and, um, and you fall out, but you suddenly you go, undo! It's just like, everything's just fine again, right? Wouldn't it just be great if life just had like a big undo button, like, undo, undo. When I read Genesis 3, my whole being cries out for an undo button. Especially after reading the beauty of Genesis 1, right? 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it's so poetic. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And you can sense the delight. And God said it was very good. Because at the beginning, it was very good. God and people were in a great relationship, enjoying each other, celebrating each other. And the two people were enjoying each other and exploring the garden. And I imagine those first days, weeks, months, years, however long it was, and they just kind of wandered around going, oh, check this out. No, 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 look at this. This is amazing. Look at this. Come over here. No, come over here. Come over here. Look. I can imagine them being like, oh, have you tried this? Because this is good. You know, like they first try to eat the banana, like, and then they're like, that doesn't work. And then they're like, take the, take the peel off. Oh, there, that'll work. Right? It was like explore, right? The whole thing was just explore and delight and amusement and joy. And they were in harmony with each other and they were in harmony with God and it was just delightful. And then the enemy comes in. And the big goal of the enemy here early on is really not to get somebody to eat the fruit, so to speak. The big goal of the enemy is to fracture relationships. His goal is to fracture the relationship between God and God's people. And his goal is to fracture the relationship between the two humans from each other. And so, from the very beginning, from the very first question, he places doubts in Eve's mind about who God is. Did God really say? And she kind of clarifies, well, actually, she said this. And he's like, you're not going to die. And all of a sudden, she's, she's like, really? Because maybe God isn't who I, who I thought he was. And everything she's known is called into question. And, and she thinks, well, if that's not true, then... Maybe, maybe this is a good idea. And so she takes the fruit and she eats the fruit and she gives them to her husband and he eats the fruit. And then it says, their eyes were open. It doesn't say Eve ate and her eyes were open and then Adam ate and his eyes were open. Both of them ate and because they were so connected, because everything was so woven together in beautiful harmony at that point, both of them had to eat, and then both of them had eyes that were open. And suddenly they realize that they're naked, and they're vulnerable, and they're scared, and they're afraid, and they go and they hide. And God comes and he looks for them, he knows something horrible has happened. He knows, he knows what's happened. And what we see from the very moment is that the relationship between God and God's people is fractured. Where were you? I was afraid. Had God ever done anything to them that they would be afraid of God? No. And then the next thing is the relationships between the two of them are severed. It was the woman that you gave me. You gave it to me. You, you gave her to me. She did it. Fracture. She blames the serpent. 
And then we have the curses. The servant is cursed to crawl on the ground. The woman cursed with pain. The man cursed with toil. He was from the ground, you know. Adam is the Hebrew word for ground, dirt, earth, soil. So he's distanced even from his very own stuff that he's made of. It's, it's not that he's just distant from God and distant from Eve. He's distant from his very self, from the very toil. And for her, these amazing relationships that move toward intimacy, being a mom, being a partner, these intimate relationships are just fractured from the get-go. Pain is brought into relationship with everything around them and who they are. And we still live with it, right? You walk down the path and you overhear two guys talking and they're speaking in a way about a woman that isn't God-glorifying. Fracture. You watch a stand-up comedian and he gets his best laugh by poking fun of the opposite sex. Fracture. Sex trafficking. Some people believe it's more prevalent today than it's ever been in the history of the world. Fracture. There are women in our world who, when they get raped, get put on trial for adultery. The rapist is not persecuted. The woman is. Fracture. There are fathers who, after their daughters were raped last year as part of the Arab Spring and all the turmoil that happened, there were fathers who, when their daughters were raped, killed their daughters out of honor because once the virginity was gone, they were worthless to them. Fracture. We live in an incredibly broken world, and we can just feel it. We read it. We see it. It's right here. And that's why it's so important that in the center of these curses, there's this one line of hope. Did you get it? I will place enmity, God says, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head you will strike his heel. And I'm sure in that moment, Adam and Eve had no idea what God was talking about. But later scholars know, and the way the prophets and the gospel writers use that phrase, they realize that God then, in that moment, was talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would come, and Jesus would push the big undo button, and everything would be made right again. So right there, even nestled into the curse, is the hope that someday all of this will be undone. 
So when we talk about what it means to be a godly man or what it means to be a godly woman, what we need to know first is that it means that we stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ and we seek to be agents of undo. We seek to be agents of undo. Who say the curse is limited, the curse is bound, the curse has no traction here. Instead, we go back to blessing and we cultivate blessing and this is who we are in Christ. So to be a godly man or a godly woman in life means that you are an imitator of Jesus Christ. It means that you seek to live as Jesus would live if he were here living with you. So let's talk about what your life is like right now. Most of you live with people uh, with whom you will not live for the rest of your life. Right now. We can have that assumption, right? Most of us. Some of you, maybe, but generally, we're living with people who, some of us, we didn't even pick them. Like someone else picked them, threw them in the dorm, and there they were. Now, what you observe when you live with people that you didn't choose to live with is that suddenly you get very aware of their character and who they are and who they're trying to be. So let's say it's Wednesday, and you're in line at the Commons, and you get up to the little place where they serve the hot food, and they say, oh, sorry, we're out of grilled cheese. I know. And let's say the person that you're with, this, this person that you know, you're, you're just kind of thrown into the, to the potluck with, um, this person like throws a little fit. Are you kidding me? It's Wednesday. There are always grilled cheese on Wednesday. This is not rocket science. Like figure it out. How many people ate grilled cheese last week? I'm going to guess it's going to be about the same this week. How about you do the math, people? And the woman behind the counter says, look, it'll only be like seven minutes. Why don't you go get the tomato soup, find a table, come on back, we'll hook you up, it'll be okay. I can't believe this. This is so inconsiderate. All right, right now, there in life, not godly. Okay? Not godly. Let's say you're talking about who you're going to live with. And you have a whole bunch of people, and you all love each other, and you can't quite figure out how to make the numbers work. You want to live off campus, and someone says, I have an idea. You know, I know there's this law about no more than four who live off campus, but we're renting a big house, and it's going to have room for six. So doesn't it make all the sense in the world, you know, that we just blow off that law and sign that thing that Calvin makes us sign and pay that fine or whatever it is, and a couple of us have our mail sent to other places, and we just make this work because financially it just makes all the sense in the world. Not godly. Not godly. To be a godly person in life means that you follow Jesus Christ even when it means you have patience, which I believe is a fruit of the Spirit. Even when it means you have to live as a person of integrity and take a financial hit. Because you say, I am sold out to Jesus Christ and treating others the way that they deserve to be treated, and honoring the laws that society has put up, that's how I live out as a godly person. That's how I live as a godly person. 
And the other way we live as godly men and women in community together is that we actually invest in friendships that matter. I have amazing friends, just one of the best gifts of God in my life. And I remember a few years ago, I was walking on the beach with one of my dearest friends, and I felt very uh, convicted that I had to confess something to her. And so as we're walking on the beach, I said to her, I just, I need you to know that I've been struggling with this. And she listened, and she said, oh, man, I understand that. She said, I had a season in my life when I was struggling with that. And so she poured out her story of how she confessed that sin, how she was made right, and how she invited me to do the same. And then ever since that conversation, I know in that particular area of my life, I've got somebody who has my back. Because she is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and she's seeking to be a godly woman. And when I'm with her, and I lay my stuff out for her, she invites me to be more godly, to be a more devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times in the relationships we have, it's so easy to be superficial, it's so easy to pass us off, it's so easy to say things like, we're only going to be together for one more month and then I never have to live with her again, so I'm not going to raise this, it's not important. It's so easy to avoid conflict to keep the peace when actually moving into the conflict or admitting the mistake will move you toward deeper intimacy. A godly man or a godly woman is someone who seeks to restore those relationships, to push the undo button on the curse and say, I want to restore the relationship with this person and God. I want to restore the relationship between myself and God and between myself and other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, says Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the first two commandments. So to be a godly person means that you are working in every aspect of your life to restore relationship between God and other people and yourself and between you and other people. That's what it means to be godly. Now, let's move to the the romance part. (laughs) Now, there are some people who kind of say that to be a godly man means you have to act a certain way and be a certain way and look a certain way so that you can be attractive to godly women. And there are people that say, to be a godly woman, you have to act a certain way and be a certain way and look a certain way and be attractive to a godly man. To really be a godly man means that You're in relationship with godly women. To be a godly woman means you're in relationship with godly men and hopefully, eventually, just one of them. (laughs) That the point of godliness is to eventually pair you up. Uh, That's not in scripture. (laughs) I just want to be really clear about that. Um, It's not like Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, all right, guys, listen up. This is the deal. There's some great women over here. And you've got to step it up. (laughs) Because the whole point of following me is to find one of them. And he doesn't say to the women who are following him or are sitting at his feet or are serving, ladies, some amazing guys over here. Let's bring it, shall we? (laughs) No! No, no, no! Not Jesus at all! Jesus, in fact, is pushing the undo button right away from the beginning. Who is he born to? A 
I'm virgin. It's like, <laughs> like messing with their minds right from the get-go. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. And then he starts to call these people who no one else would call, and he brings them around, and his disciples are like, I don't quite get this, because at one point, like, he's sitting by a well, and this woman comes over, and they have a conversation, and the disciples walk up, and they're like, he's talking to a woman. Awkward. <laughs> they're like, we did not get back fast enough. But what happens in that moment is that there's this amazing exchange, and this woman is converted, and she goes, and she brings her whole village to meet Jesus, and they have a party. He lets a woman sit at his feet. He lets a woman serve him from the kitchen. And then later he talks with her about the resurrection and the life. Jesus in his ministry is constantly pushing the undo button. So when he's inviting people to godliness, it's not like godly so that you can find a good woman, godly so that you can find a good man, because that rules out all of us who don't. Some of us are called to singleness. Some of us are invited to lay our lives down for the sake of the kingdom of God in ways that don't involve marriage or partnership. So anytime we say that to be a godly man means a certain relationship with a woman, or to be a godly woman demands a certain relationship with a man, we are not being biblical. Now that we've cleared that up, Let's talk about what it actually means then when you begin to think about partnering with somebody or dating someone. And I think in recent years, there's been Christian literature that hasn't helped us so much on the dating because there's been like this weight that's put on the dating relationship, right? It's like, don't date people. You should court them intentionally for marriage. Now, I understand the author's intent. I understand this intent because he's trying to speak against a culture where it's just use people as you can, date somebody for a while as like filler until you find somebody who's actually interesting to you because at least that way you'll get some sex out of the thing and you can just hang with that for like six months and then move on to somebody else and not anybody you'd actually marry because who would do that? So he's speaking against that culture where people are just using other people. He says, we don't do that. He says, we try to say, is this someone with whom I could have a long-term relationship? But the way I hear that bubbling up out of you is that you come into my office and you're like, I really like this girl, but I don't know if I should ask her out. And I'm like, why not? Well, because around here, if you like go out with somebody twice, it's like you're engaged or something. <laughs> right? Can I have a witness? Right? Right? There's like all this pressure. Because we all think like you have to date somebody intentionally for marriage. Well, guess what? You don't know if you're going to marry them until you date them. I know. Thank you. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. So, so let's reframe the dating as spending time with. Okay? And when you spend time with someone and you think, I'd like to spend a little more time with someone, I'd like to spend a little more time with someone, and then eventually over a year or two or whatever you think, I'd like to spend all time with you. But you don't know that unless you start at the very beginning, the very good place to start. 
And so you say to your lab partner, <laughs> just throwing that out as an idea, you might say to your lab partner, you know, this, I've so enjoyed working with you this semester, and I would really like to get to know you better. Could I, could I buy you a cup of coffee at Johnny's? Or if you want something more quiet, you could say, or could we go to the Spulhoff Cafe, because no one ever goes there. <laughs> right? So like, low key, and then it's coffee. It is a hot beverage, people. It's not the rest of your life. Okay? That's all it is. And then, then this person says, this is really fun. And then don't say, let's do this again, if you don't want to. <laughs> if you don't want to do it again, say, I really, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> so I have to say, thank you. That's all you need to say. Say that with me. There you go. Someone thought you were worth spending time on. This is a good thing. You say thank you. That's all you got to do. You don't got to spend time with them again. You don't have to meet their parents. You just say thank you. Now, when you've been spending time with someone for a while, the question you need to ask isn't, could I put up with this person for the rest of my life? The question isn't, will my mom like him? The question is, would the kingdom of God be better served if the two of us were together? Or would the kingdom of God be better served if the two of us were living independently? That's the question. Will the kingdom of God be better served if the two of us join forces? If I am with this person, will she help me to be an agent of undo? Will he help me to be an agent of undo? Will, will he call out all the garbage in me and, and help me to get rid of it and move on? Will she call out all the garbage in me? Will she just call me on my stuff and invite me to lay it down at the cross? Is this a person who is going to invite me into deeper discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will the kingdom of God be better off if we joined forces? That's the question. And that's a risky question. I have a friend who's approaching 50. She's single. And when she was in her late 20s, early 30s, she had some serious relationships. And she ended them, three of them. She ended them because she knew that the person she was dating would not be a partner in faith. So she says, so I'm moving toward 50, and I really thought I would have a partner. But when I look back, I don't regret those relationships, and I don't regret breaking them off because I know it would have been such a struggle to be unequally yoked. To be a godly man and a godly woman in relationship means that you seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things are added to you. Let me talk for just a minute about what happens then 
in marriage because there, there are people who say that the curse uh, that was given to Eve, that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And the words of Paul in a place like Ephesians 5 where he says that wives submit to your husbands, that, that that's the blueprint for once you're committed to each other, once you've made vows before God and God's people, that that's the blueprint, that the, the husband's in charge and, and the wife submits and that just works. Well, <clears throat> we need to be really aware of how we how we respond to the curses in the other areas of our lives, right? So we don't say when it comes to work, you need to dig ditches with your hands. And when you plant acres and acres of corn in Iowa, please do them with your thumb. (laughs) Because the Bible says by the sweat of your brow, you will bring forth food from the earth. So let me see a sweat. No, we have amazing, some of you are reared on farms, you've worked on farms, some of you have driven some of these tractors, okay? And these are not like, these are like John Deere, air conditioning, MP3 players, serious satellite radio going on, and you are covering like acres, right? You are like subduing the earth, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, when we talk about undoing the curse, that's what we're talking about. It's like everywhere. Like when your computer crashes, someday that will be no more, right? Because that is part of the curse of work. The undo button needs to be hit in so many ways. And the same thing for women in childbearing, right? We do everything we can to make that as easy and as pain-free as possible, and we still have so far to go. (laughs) Just heard stories. I haven't done it myself, but it looks pretty intimidating. <laughs> so imagine what it would be like if, if, if we just said, no, women, you know, I don't know, have a baby at home, hope it works out, figure it out. No, we do all these things. We have, like, birthing centers now. And you can play your special music, and there's, like, people all around you all the time, and they give you drugs. I remember so clearly when I visited, um, when I was a parish pastor and I visited a woman who had just given birth to her third child, and with the first two, um, because of different things, she uh, hadn't been given certain drugs, and so I walked into the room and she says to me, Mary, I have one word for you, epidural. (laughs) And she was just amazed at how different this birthing experience was compared to her previous two. That's redeeming the curse. We are all about that. That's what we talk about all here at Calvin College. Redeem the curse, agents of renewal, push the undo button. That's us. So if we're doing that in every other area, why, when it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, why would that somehow be separate? No. Jesus is our model for this too because he's constantly pushing the undo button and bringing women into leadership and signing them up and getting them to do things and being side by side with him. And when Paul writes about wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord in Ephesians 5. We have to remember that the the whole chapter begins, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the frame for the whole chapter. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks in the chapter about wives and husbands and parents and children and slaves and masters. But it all flows out of that. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord. And then he says, husbands, love your wives. Now, we kind of assume people are going to love people that they're married to. This was not an assumption that you made. So let's say, here's the, here's the wealthy landowner male, head of the house, husband guy. His wife is here. She basically runs the children's lives and the household slaves. This is kind of her enterprise. And he oversees all the slaves who work his land and his property. And there's a very distinct hierarchy. And he has power over everybody, and she has power over these people. And this is just woven in. It's just the fabric of the way it's always been. And the odds are really good that this marriage happened in order to be strategic. That her father wanted her to marry him because it would be helpful to him. Or he wanted her because he knew that her dowry from her father would include some land that he had his eye on. And so it was very rare that husbands loved their wives. And wives submitting to their husbands was really unusual in a way, too, because their zones were so different. It was like, I don't mess with this stuff, and he doesn't, and he comes in, and he messes with it, and he doesn't make it, and he doesn't know what he's talking about all the time. And so, so what Paul says is here, this is the way it's going to work. Wives, you're going to submit to your husbands and the Lord, and then husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Paul is inviting the husbands to do what? Die. Die. Love your wives and die for them. That's hitting a big undo button. Because everything in the structure was about power and status and seniority and significance. And he was saying, here's what we do when we follow Jesus. We lay our lives down for the other. This is what we do when we follow Jesus. Neil Planiga, you may have heard of him. <laughs> Engaging God's world. Neil Planiga wrote this article on headship, and he called it, Yes, Dear, or How to Handle Headship. And he talked about how he remembered a season in his life when he was growing up and his parents were having this big fight back and forth. They couldn't decide about something. And they went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, his father said to his mother, all right, that's it. I'm invoking the headship principle. We're doing it your way. And Neil went on to write about how when you follow Jesus Christ, that's headship. Headship is laying down your life for the other. Because when you come to a battle of wills and it's about power, one of you has to say, I give up my power. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be a godly man or a godly woman in relationship, intimate, partnered, committed relationship with the other means that you are always looking for a way in which you can help the other person to flourish. 
And sometimes that means you lay your life down. Life, marriage, ministry. It's not incidental that we put this sermon in the series for the week after Easter. Because last week, most of you were in churches where they read the Easter story and you heard Jesus say to the women, go and tell. Go and tell everybody that I'm enraged and I'm going to meet them in Galilee. It's going to be great. Go, go, go and tell. And maybe some of you read the passage from Luke where the women go and tell and it says, and the disciples were like, what? Their words seemed to them like nonsense. That's the line in Luke. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Here the most amazing thing has happened. The undo button has been pushed. And Jesus says to women, go and tell. This is great. It's the undo button. It's the resurrection. This is big. Go and tell. He doesn't say, oh, um, actually, could, could you like go get the guys? Because... This is going to be way more believable if it comes from men because women aren't even allowed to testify in court. So if you guys come up with this kind of story, this is not going to go anywhere. So um, would you I'll wait. You just go get them and and just bring them back. Right? You laugh because it's funny. Right? The women are the last at the cross and they're the first at the tomb and they're the ones who are sent out. And what we see is Jesus in his resurrection moment is doing what he's always been doing and pushing the undo button on gender relations and healing up what has been fractured and saying, I know there are going to be people who say that you can't go and tell that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, but I want you to go and tell because this is so great. I want you to go and tell. And so when we talk about using the gifts of women and men in ministry, we're talking about a long history of trying to push that undo button. And when you read in Paul's letters where he's talking about gifts, he doesn't say, all right, um, guys, here are your gifts. You get leadership, you get preaching and prophecy. Women, you get hospitality, mercy, service. There you go. Break it up. (laughs) Right? He's like, no, no, no. God gives a whole bunch of gifts. Y'all figure it out. And if you've got a gift, you better use it. To be a godly man or a godly woman in the service of the church means if you have a gift, you use it. And some of you have been sitting on a gift because you think, well, I don't don't know if it's good for, for a guy to really like hospitality, but I really do. Use it. Some of you are thinking, I, I, I really think I have the gift of prophecy and proclamation, but I don't know if a woman should do that. Use it! To be a godly man and a godly woman in the life of the church means you use your gifts to repair the relationship between God and God's people and God's people with each other. That's what we do here in church. That's what we do in ministry. And you see that Paul got this. And I know that some of his, his writings are a little confusing about the men and women thing, and they have to do with who he was writing to and why and how. And I'm sure I'll be in like one of his seminars in heaven, and I'll go, oh, that makes sense. But, but right now I'm like, mm. um. But what we have to do is read Paul through the lens of he must be trying to hit the undo button. He must be trying to undo the curse. He must be trying to move them in a way that all the disciples of Jesus Christ can find their gifts and serve in the church. 
Because we know at the end of the book of Romans, in Romans 16, he lists out all these people who have helped him, and many of the people are women, and he calls them his partners, his yoke fellows, apostles with him. So he works for the undo button. And so in this season of resurrection, doesn't it make all the sense in the world that when we talk about being a godly man and a godly woman, we do not define it by the standards of the world. We do not define it by relationship with each other. Well, we define it by our relationship with our God who is constantly seeking to work through us to push the big undo button. There's this great Easter story that's often actually read on this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. Some of you know this story. There are two people that are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, right? And it's a pair of them. And scholars believe that it's most likely that this is a husband and a wife. And Tom Wright, who was here for January series, and we read his Philippians book, for those of you who were here a year ago. Tom Wright's a biblical scholar, and, and he says, I really think it was Mary and Cleopas, two people who are mentioned in other places in the Gospels. And he says, so you've got to imagine that there's this couple. It's Mary and Cleopas, let's say. And they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they are heartbroken. They are confused. They do not know what is happening to them. And, and suddenly someone comes up beside them, and it's Jesus, but they don't know that. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, oh, all the stuff that's happened in Jerusalem, it's just heartbreaking. And he says, what, what things? And they're just aghast. They're like, seriously, you don't know? You've been under a rock? That just came to me. <laughs> so they say to him, do you really not know? And he's like, no, tell me. And so they start to tell him all the things. And then he says to them in that loving, gentle Jesus kind of way, oh, you're so stupid. <laughs> Which is a paraphrase. But, <laughs> but what he says is, them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe everything that the prophet said about the Messiah. Which is a lot like saying, oh, you're so stupid. And then he starts to tell them everything, and they're walking, and they're talking, and they're walking, and he's teaching them all of this stuff, and they get to their house, and they say, won't you come in? And he says, okay. And then they gather around the table, and he takes bread, and he breaks it. And what does Luke say happened next? Their eyes were open. And unlike Adam and Eve, who ate, and their eyes were open to brokenness and vulnerability and shame and nakedness, when these two people ate at the table with their Lord, their eyes were open to Jesus. Their eyes were open to the great undo. Their eyes were open to resurrection and life and hope and freedom. Their eyes were open, and they ran back to Jerusalem, and they said to the disciples, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Because when you have seen the risen Lord and you have broken bread with him, you can't help but tell other people. To be a godly man or a godly woman means that you go through your life saying to other people, I've seen the Lord. 
I have seen the Lord. And when you're living in community with brothers and sisters, what a joy it is to say to somebody else, I see the Lord in you. I see the gospel of Jesus Christ alive in you. I see you calling me to be a better disciple. I see you inviting me to be a better woman of God. And I want to invite you to be a better man of God. Because we are gathered together as people who have seen the Lord. And we get to together work as being agents of undo. And saying the great fracture that happened between God and God's people and the fractures that have happened between men and women, we will work so that they are no more. We will live our lives so that when we're around people of the opposite sex, they know that we value them and love them and respect them like brothers or sisters in Christ. And when we have the opportunity to be in relationship with God, we will do it with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength as Jesus invites us to. Friends, you have seen the Lord. And there are things in us that need to die, that need to be surrendered. There are things that we need to confess about the way that we have treated human beings. There are things we need to confess about the way we have treated our relationship with God. We're invited to surrender these things. We're invited to die so that we can rise again as men and women of God who can say with conviction and joy, we have seen the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, Spirit God, how amazing it is that you use us to do the work of undo. And we pray that we will be your men and your women, that we will stand up for you, that we will proclaim that we have seen you, and that because we have seen you, we are going to live differently. We are going to live godly lives of integrity and kindness, justice, self-control, love, joy. God, we pray that we will never be bound up by the false roles that this world may put on us and instead seek to live as you call us to live, to build your kingdom and give you glory. So as we sing now about surrender and holiness, Holy Spirit, convict us of things that need to die so that we can live as people who have seen the Lord. In the name of our risen Lord, we pray, amen.